0: market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with that aforementioned man, Jim Cramer. Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures, of course, as we get ready to begin trading a half hour from now, last trading session of the week. You can see we are set up for a slightly lower open. We've got a big show ahead, of course. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin will be with us. He will explain the decision to cut the Fed's emergency lending power, or at least some of the programs, of course, that began back in March. And as Pfizer and BioNTech move to request emergency authorization for their COVID vaccine, we're going to have the head of Operation Warp Speed with us, He will discuss the path forward and, of course, so important, the distribution of said vaccine. Jim, all of this in the backdrop of worsening COVID cases. We talk about it every day. We need to. And I'm starting, I don't know what you're hearing, starting to see some anecdotal evidence that things are slowing down a bit in the economy.
1: Yeah, I'm actually getting that, too. I'm getting people who are saying... I really would want to make a, a, a big deal, a big spend. This is in terms of the big tech spend, for instance. Right. But it, I got to figure out what's really going on or and when are people coming back? Are people going to ever come back? Um, the, come, the stay at home versus go back to work, we thought it was resolved. We thought that thing, it was just a matter of time before you're going back to work. And those involve big corporate capital spending decisions. Uh, And I think that those decisions are right now on the balance because people don't know uh, whether this thing's just going to continue to rage. Well, I
0: think we can expect it may continue to rage, unfortunately, for uh, for the foreseeable future until the vaccine is is widely available. There are people are starting to curb their behavior. You know that. And that's kind of what I'm referring to. And there are certainly some some signs of that and decreased traffic in certain areas. Uh, and the decrease in economic activity that comes along with it, Jim. Uh, and, of course, the backdrop is this this uh, Treasury news, and I know we want to get to that. Well, let's
1: get right to it. Yeah. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin joins us now. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for coming on Squawk on the Street. Always good to see you.
2: Always good to be with you, Jim, and uh, I'm glad to be on to explain this because I think it's really pretty straightforward and people are missing the issue. Uh, The Treasury and Fed have worked incredibly close together, and these programs have been enormously successful. And, And let me just remind people, you know, back in March when the markets were stuck, even before the CARES Act was passed, the Fed working with the Treasury, we activated the commercial paper facility, the money market facility, we activated the primary dealer facility. These were all done with money that the Treasury has in the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And then as part of the CARES Act, and again, you know, we couldn't be happier, enormous bipartisan support on the CARES Act, 96 to 0, 100 to 0, Uh, Congress entrusted Treasury with $500 billion. It was really unprecedented. And that money could be used to work with the Federal Reserve and with direct loans to airlines and national security companies. And we announced a series of other facilities with the Fed. And, uh, as you recall, I was in the room, I negotiated these documents, uh, I worked very closely with Mike Crapo and Pat Toomey. We negotiated this specific language. And on the Fed facilities, the $450 billion that Congress gave me, uh, it was very clear that the congressional intent is it expires on December of this year. It's, it's very clear in the law. So uh, Chair Powell and I have been discussing this for the last few weeks in deference to the Fed. I said that the facilities that we funded with pre-CARES funding, the Exchange Civilization Fund, I would extend. So commercial paper, money markets, primary dealers, things like that for the abundance of caution, even though they're not being used. And the CARES money that expires at December 31st, that was merely simply following the intent of the law. So it wasn't a decision on whether we needed these or we didn't need these. But let me just put this in perspective. Mm-hmm. All those other facilities, uh, we only have about $25 billion of loans outstanding. And to the extent that we need to do more, uh, we have over $750 billion of firepower between the what's in the Exchange Stabilization Fund and what the Federal Reserve can do going forward. These can be reactivated. So markets should be very comfortable that we have plenty of capacity left. And Mark Meadows and I uh, will be working with Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and uh, hopefully the Speaker. There's $500 billion of money that Congress appropriated that is now expiring. Uh, we have $130 billion of PPP money sitting around. We, we need Congress to reappropriate these funds. We, we could do $500 billion of fiscal response immediately that won't cost taxpayers any more money. And, and let's spend it on small business PPP loans. You know, there are a lot of people who are still struggling, uh, although parts of the economy are roaring back. Parts of the economy, small businesses, restaurants, travel, and other need more help. And that's where we want to put this money. But this was a very simple thing. We're following the intent of Congress.
1: Well, if it's simple, sir, what I want to do is play just a bit of an interview with uh, Chicago Fed President uh, Evans that we just had, that that Steve Liesman had, that I think puts uh, the issue in a different light. And if we can just uh, listen to that, sir, it will really help things.
2: I think our uh, 13.3 you know, facilities have been very helpful. They you know, perform a backstop role for you know, when markets uh, find themselves in a more challenged uh, situation, when Main Street lending uh, uh, could be um, impeded. The banks have been important for helping out. There's a lot of design put in place. And um, I think that backstop role might be important um, you know, for quite some time, so it's disappointing.
1: So, sir, I mean, obviously, Mr. Evans is not necessarily speaking for the chairman, but is a very distinguished member of the Fed and says that this is disappointing. How do we react to that?
2: Well, nothing against him. And and I watched the interview when it was live. Uh, What I would say is, you know, I'd ask him to go read the law, which is very clear, or ask him to call up, you know, the chair of the committee Um, It it was very clear. Now, I think what the Fed has said, and and again, Chair Powell and I have discussed this extensively, if it weren't for the fact that these were expiring, you know, all of the things being equal, the Fed always likes to keep their tools outstanding. But again, this is not a political issue. This is very simple. And really, the, the story is, let's go reappropriate $500 billion. I mean, corporations don't need this money this has been a great success we don't need to buy more corporate bonds we you know kind of the municipal market is working Uh, people are able to borrow lots of money in the markets. as i said we've only done twenty five billion dollars and to the extent these need to be reactivated we have over eight hundred billion dollars of capacity so i consider that to be a pretty good bazooka And congress trusted us with this money And we're going to follow the law. And now we're asking Congress, please go reappropriate this money for areas of the economy and people that really need it.
1: All right. So uh, a headline in New York Times this morning, Mnuchin, to end some Fed aid programs limiting Biden's options. Does it limit Biden's options?
2: Well, again, uh, the the options are the options. Uh, We have capacity, whether it's myself or somebody else. These, these can be reactivated with exchange stabilization funds. And, you know, I just remind you, there were a lot of people, you know, on the Democratic side who questioned giving me $500 billion that I could, quote, do with whatever I want. So I find it kind of ironic now that I'm being prudent in returning the money to Congress like I'm supposed to that uh, people are questioning that. But, uh, again, we want Congress to reappropriate this money, and we got plenty of capacity left if we need to use it. And this has been a great success story. Look at where the markets were in March. Look at where they are now. Companies like Boeing that we thought were going to be able to have to borrow from the government went and borrowed tens of billion dollars in in the public markets.
0: Secretary Mnuchin, it's David Faber. Um, you're, you're making cogent arguments I think many people would agree with. Uh, but we live in a very weird world right now where there are quite a few who, uh, who uh, see anything that is done in your administration as an attempt potentially to make life as difficult as possible for, you, for President Trump's successor, of course, while the president continues to fight the outcome of the election. What do you say to those people? What is the upside here? Is it the return of the money that you keep talking about and the reappropriation of it?
2: Look, I I think this has been a great success story. And what I want people to focus on is, you know, Chair Powell and I and the Fed and the Treasury, these have worked. And the best part of them working was the mere announcement that we had $500 billion, that we could go do $5 trillion if we needed to. That opened the markets. So the mere announcement, that was the bottom of the market. And as the Fed has always said, these are emergency tools uh, when the emergency is over, let's put them away. Right. Well, the the medical emergency may not be over, but I think we'd agree the financial conditions markets is is the financial conditions are in great shape. Corporate bonds have come in, municipals have come in, mortgages have come in. The stock market has rebounded, and you know I'm I'm hopeful because we have been a very good steward of this money and these tools that down the road, whether it's 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, that there's needs to use these tools, that Congress will have the same confidence in future Treasury secretaries and Fed chairs as they've had in us. Yeah. And again, I would just highlight the law is very clear. The intent was this part of it expires in December. Let's go use this money for things in parts of the economy. We don't need this money to buy corporate bonds. We need this money to go help small businesses that are still closed or hurt, no fault of their own, or people who are going to be on unemployment and unemployment is running out.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, this all was passed, of course, during a very dark moment when we were headed into potentially what ended up being sort of a so-called lockdown for a bit as the virus raged out of control. But Secretary Mnuchin, unfortunately, right now, the virus is raging out of control as well. And I think the uncertainty that we see right now may be equal to some of the uncertainty that we had in, in mid-March. And so some people wonder, well, why not just extend it? What's the downside to just keeping things as they are? Uh, And at least being ready for unexpected occurrences, given that this virus, unfortunately, is still with us and as bad as ever.
2: Well, again, let me just clarify the facilities that didn't use CARES money. We've extended in the abundance of caution and the facilities that used CARES money that have a December 31st expiration were following the intent of the law, which we think was pretty clear. And we're saying to Congress, go spend this money and help small businesses and people that really need it. Now, as it relates to the virus, um, you know, I would say we are in a very different situation. We have two companies that have vaccines that have been approved. We have more in the works. We're going to have mass distribution of vaccines. Um, We have massive amount of testing. We have uh, ready testing that can be done now in fifteen twenty minutes with very very high certainty. So I think, as a result of Project Warp Speed, and the president's commitment, where we used CARES money to make major investments in health, uh, we're we're in a different situation. There will be an end in sight yes. for this virus because of the great progress that the administration has made. All true, uh, all true, uh, Secretary.
0: Funding. But the, we did have 197,000 cases yesterday and 2,000 deaths, and it's only going one way right now with Thanksgiving looming. I mean, you know, the next few weeks could be really ugly.
2: Well, we, 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 we hope it won't. And again, you know, we're working on mass distribution of the virus. Uh, and again, to the extent that markets need support, we and the Fed can work together in the future. But uh, as, as you said, the people that really need support right now are not the rich corporations. It's the small businesses. It's the people who are unemployed. Those are the people we need to help for the next few months while we restore and reopen the entire economy and get the vaccine distributed.
1: Right, so Mr. Secretary, why can't you just uh, agree with the Restaurant Act, uh, target some other places that are just hos- hospitality, get this done in the next month? Because you know, as it gets colder these institutions and these companies small business they're all going to close it's too cold what can you do for them
2: well you know i I understand that the democrats didn't want us to do anything before the election because they didn't want to do something that could be helpful to the president but i i had hoped now that we're past the election that the democrats would work with us Uh, again during the cares act we had incredible bipartisan support and we'll be redoubling our efforts to sit down and try to get something done. That's really what's important. And what the economy needs is now more fiscal support. And again, as it relates to these facilities, all we're letting do is the ones that were supposed to expire at the end of the year will expire. The ones that don't, we're renewed. And $500 $500 billion, Jim, you know, we want to go spend that money for people who need it.
1: Well, can you pledge that uh, later today you'll sit down or at least have a dialogue, a courteous dialogue, with uh, Speaker Pelosi about trying to get this done?
2: Well, I, I can tell you Mark Meadows and I will be speaking with Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy this morning, and uh, we are going to come up with a plan to sit down with Pelosi and Schumer and try to get a targeted bill done for the people that really need it. And ho- hopefully the Democrats will work with us, and hopefully uh, that'll get done.
1: Well, I, I echo your uh, analysis of what happened with Boeing, but it's interesting. I speak with all the executives of the airlines. Uh, they need a big Thanksgiving, sir. They need a big one. It's got to put in some money in their coffers. They're losing They're losing hundreds of millions of dollars per month. Uh, But the lead story in the journal CDC calls on nation to avoid holiday travel. I mean, what are we going to do if two weeks from now the airlines come back to you and say, you know what? It was a we didn't make it. We need help.
2: Hey, Jim, I I will tell you, you know, when we were negotiating the deal, um, we have enormous bipartisan support for the airline workers. So we were going to spend more money for the airline workers to keep them employed. It's no fault to the airlines that they're shut down because of this. And the Democrats refuse to bring that to the floor on a standalone basis. We could have saved tens of thousands of jobs, and we could put those people back to work uh, in, in, in using part of this $500 billion. Uh, again, lots of airline workers, lost jobs, no, no fault of their own. And I can tell you I had lots of calls from both Democrats and Republicans urging us to pass that standalone legislation. All
1: right. Uh, again, I want to just uh, go back to what the New York Times is talking about. Uh, this is a, a notion that you are hindering President-elect Biden's ability to use the central bank's vast powers to cushion the economic up from the virus. I hate to just play politics on you, but that is what the New York Times says, that you are hindering the next president's powers.
2: Not, not surprising from the New York Times. Uh, you, you know, I, I've seen other misleading stories from them. It's unfortunate. Uh, again, what I would say is, read the letter that we sent to Powell. It was very clear. Uh, Again, we're not trying to hinder anything. Uh, What we're trying to do is follow the law as we're supposed to. Uh, We extended the facilities. There's been a great success. Let's reappropriate the money. Let's get it done.
0: Uh, Secretary Mnuchin, were you surprised that Powell responded uh, not, uh, you know, not in your favor, in a sense, and said, no, we don't want you to do that?
2: Um, Again, I'll let Chair Powell speak for himself. And and, and, again, we've had lots of conversations. Uh, Again, I think what the Fed has said is that the interpretation of the law is, is up to us. They weren't in the room. That's not their job. I think, as it just relates to the facilities, again, they'd always like to keep things open. And that's why, in deference to them, uh, you know, I kept four of the facilities open, even though nobody's going today to a commercial paper facility or money market facility. Right. But uh, they're there in case the Fed needs to use them. And, and, again, we got a lot of firepower left if we need to reopen other facilities with non-CARES funding. You know,
0: um, Secretary, uh, the municipal liquidity facility in particular, I, I know those those markets are working fine, but... The New York MTA needs $12 billion, and they need it fast. Otherwise, they're going to have huge service cuts in an area that contributes, I think, as much as 13% to GDP. I mean, that could be a little scary, couldn't it? Uh, how are we going to deal with getting the aids that's needed to these municipalities before there are massive cuts in terms of jobs and or dislocations in the municipal bond market?
2: Well, the MTA has a real revenue problem, obviously. And, uh, you know, the MTA would like to get grants from the government. Uh, They really don't want more debt. But again, the the MTA can borrow in the market. They've borrowed some money from the facilities. They've borrowed money outside of the facilities. The markets are open for them. Uh, and, And again, I don't expect that to be a problem. But again, let me just say there is a big difference between grants and loans and the areas of the economy right now that are really hard hit, like the MTA. Uh, you know, they need to work with the state and federal government on how they're going to get grants to go forward.
1: All right. But let's go back to a statement that uh, Chairman Powell put out earlier this week. The Federal Reserve would prefer This is one in response to what you did. The Federal Reserve would prefer that the full suite of emergency facilities established during the coronavirus pandemic continue to serve their important role as a backstop for our still strained and vulnerable economy. When you spoke with Chairman Powell, did he not articulate this view and suggest that you are ill-advised in the actions that you're taking?
2: Uh, He's never said I'm ill-advised in the actions that I'm taking. We've spoken extensively. He understands my view of the congressional intent. And again, I'll let him speak for himself and clarify his remarks. But uh, Chair Powell and I have a very, very close working relationship. And again, I think what people should be focused on, this has been an incredible success. Let's not focus on a couple of facilities that hardly were used, okay? Again, very small use in the Main Street facility, in the municipal facility. And again, Main Street companies need grants. They don't need more loans right now.
1: All right, look, I, I, and I'm going to say it was an incredible successful policy. PPP, which is, I know yours, was amazing in how many jobs it preserved. There is no doubt about it that you worked in a bipartisan way to, do, to save millions of jobs in this country and that the money that was uh, trapped with the Fed was doing nothing but backstopping. But once again, uh, Phil LeBeau, uh, who is such a great uh, air, such a great reporter for us says right now airlines for america says the us airlines are collectively losing 180 million dollars a day mr secretary why would we think about getting rid of these programs when we know like with boeing which you saved boeing that sunday night by doing nothing you had already backstopped it why not keep this backstop so that you i don't want to single out any particular airline but that boeing move is brilliant don't you think we need to keep these same things for for the airlines.
2: Well, Jim, again, I, I just want to clarify. We have lent the airlines billions of dollars. Every single one of the major airlines pretty much took direct loans that they have from the Treasury. Uh, they're sitting there. They're on standby. They haven't drawn them down. They're there in case they need to use them. That money is allocated. We're not giving that money back. And uh, again, right now, the airlines have plenty of liquidity. They don't need to borrow more money, the problem they have is there's no business they need to let go of all these people because people are telling people not to travel and again enormous bipartisan support for more payroll support for the airlines that's what the airline CEOs yep. want right none of the airline CEOs would have accessed any of these fed facilities going forward and it, small businesses we have 130 billion dollars of ppp money I could send that out tomorrow. Jim, you know how difficult the restaurants are having time. Let's let's get Congress to act. Let's send out that one hundred and thirty billion dollars. That's lots of jobs.
0: Amen. Uh, um, Finally, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, the weeks ahead, as we know from here, are going to be certainly momentous ones and important ones. Uh, Your successor may be announced very soon by President-elect Biden. Are you going to work with your successor? What can you tell us in terms of any plans for a transition, given at this point, at least, the Trump administration has been resistant to doing anything in terms of that transition?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the media is not the ones who, who call it. There's, there's a process to certify. And when this is certified and when uh, the, the transition is certified, uh, of course we will work with whoever is the appropriate people to work with.
1: OK, um, sir, just uh, uh, just a pure political issue. Um, uh, we're hearing that Janet Yellen may be uh, in the ring for successor. If she did get if, if things are certified and she got that job, would you be happy?
2: Again, it's not appropriate for me to to, to comment on, you know, being happy or not being happy in, <laughs> no. in, in my own personal views of who, who right. potential Treasury secretary should be. Um, you know, again, if things get certified, we'll obviously work closely with whoever it is. And, uh, you know, that that's what's been done in the past. Right. So I apologize for the sake of the Fed and Treasury. <laughs> we want Congress to reappropriate this money.
1: All right. Well, Mr. Secretary, it's been a great pleasure uh, over the years to be able to get you to come on. You're a straight shooter at PPP. Well, you a great deal. I know you're not supposed to do tutorials like that, but what the heck? I know it's been a great program. And, and many others to help small and medium-sized business. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for joining
2: us. Let's walk the Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Bye. Excellent.
1: What do you think? Well, uh, Andrew ross was speaking earlier about the notion of whether it's a charitable decision or not, in the sense of the read, the read, particularly of the last two paragraphs. I read the last two paragraphs of, of Mr. Secretary's letter as basically saying, look, come on, Congress, let's work together again. Others could just say that's obviously not going to happen. So what you're really doing is putting out a straw, man. I, don't th- I think intent matters. If he does what he said he's going to do today, you know what? A lot of jobs will be saved, yep. provided that the Republicans and the Democrats in Congress can come to some agreement. I think, David, you and I both know that there were senators who believed in a V economy. And there are numbers that have come out that are V-like. They feel that no, nothing more should be done. But right. I think you and I are worried about the virus, as, as is the Fed chairman. And the Fed chairman is looking at the papers. He, he don't need a weatherman to know which way the, the COVID virus is blowing.
0: No, we know the numbers. We can see them. And unfortunately, they continue to get worse, which, by the way, gets to our next story. Another big one this morning, of course, Pfizer and BioNTech are requesting emergency authorization from the FDA for that COVID-19 vaccine. And joining us now is Operation Warp Speed's chief science advisor. Dr. Mansov Slowy, who is with our Meg Terrell. Meg, over to you.
3: David, thanks so much. And Dr. Slowy, thanks for being here. A really historic day. Mm-hmm. I mean, walk I... us through what the process looks like from here, getting this vaccine to market, what the regulatory process looks like.
4: Well, first of all, I mean, congratulations to Pfizer for having done just an extraordinary work over, I believe, uh, the last 248 days based on what uh, the CEO told me. Um, between the time they first spoke with BioNTech and took on the challenge and the time they have completed phase three trials, scaled up the manufacturing, have um, demonstrated 95% efficacy and have prepared the file for the FDA, but also for the European agency, for the UK, for Canada and for Japan. Remarkable performance. The process from here going forward is going to be for the FDA to review the file, which is very significant. These are thousands of pages and tables and data describing the manufacturing process, the characterization of the product, hundreds and hundreds of quality control essays that describe that the product is consistent, is well characterized, is understood, and is the same from the first dose to the 40 or 100 million dose. That's one aspect. And of course, the other aspect is the description of all the clinical data. Uh, the FDA has announced that they uh, may be having a VRBPAC meeting, which is their advisory committee held in public, where everybody can listen, where the FDA will describe, after having spent about two weeks or 10 days analyzing the data in depth, here is our take on the data, where Pfizer will describe their take on the data, and then where the VRBPAC will discuss these data and their interpretation and make uh, uh, a recommendation or an advice to the FDA, which, by the way, the FDA may or may not uh, go with that advice fully. Usually they do, of course. And, uh, and then the FDA most likely will issue its decision, which we hope will be a, a positive decision. Very important. At the same time, the CDC and its advisory committee for immunization practices will be reviewing the same data in order to minimize to the shortest possible time, hopefully a few hours or maybe maximum a day, the period of time between an EUA approval and an ACIP CDC recommendation for how to prioritize the use of this vaccine. From the moment the EUA is approved, then it will be legal to move the vaccine doses from Pfizer. They will be shipped to the immunization sites that the various states will have identified for the doses to go to. We would have already- Dr. Slaoui. Okay. Yes?
3: Oh, sorry to interrupt go you. I, I really wanna hear about this process, well, but I also wanna ask you, of course, Pfizer was not technically under the umbrella of Operation Warp Speed. They did have support uh, or you at least struck a supply deal with them. But another company that that is firmly under the umbrella of Operation Warp Speed is Moderna. And we are expecting to hear from them about their application soon as well. Do you anticipate that those vaccines might be uh, being evaluated by the FDA side by side and we could potentially see them cleared for market at the same time?
4: So, Meg, first, Pfizer was part of the uh, operation Uh, from the time we signed the agreement with them. Clearly, it was a different type of partnership, much more, uh, you know, arm's length, uh, where Pfizer have given uh, almost everything that that was done. We have participated, and we continue as we speak, providing priority vouchers for them to uh, uh, access raw materials, manufacturing, Uh, Etc. Etc. And of course for the distribution of the vaccine. But indeed, our partnership with Moderna was 100% across all aspects uh, of the work, uh, as is the case with the other four companies: Pfizer, uh, sorry, uh, J&J, AstraZeneca, Novavax, and Sanofi. Uh, Moderna timelines are to uh, uh, file their EUA within the month of November or extremely early in the month of December. I think uh, every day, unfortunately, 2,000 people, 1,500 people die. Almost 200,000 people are infected every day, every hour, cannot. If the time difference in the review of the file is over five or six days, probably the FDA will hold a review for the Pfizer vaccine and a few days later, a review for the Moderna vaccine. Uh, this will pan out really as as the reviews goes on at this stage uh, it's more likely that they will make them a few days apart
1: Uh, dr jim kramer i admit that i'm completely baffled and confused you and i are old enough to remember when we had to go, go get our polio shots we went to our schools there they were and then we got our sugar cubes and we were most grateful because before this We were afraid to go outside, that we get polio. What a beautiful way to be able to do this. It's not being done. We had the military on 60 Minutes say point blank, we are ready to get this to everyone who needs it. We are so, so organized. Everyone's going to get it. Never hear from them again. We have UPS saying we've got freezer farms. We are ready. Well, where are they in the equation? We have CBS. We have McKesson. We have Walgreens saying we're ready. Doctor, I'm 65. I want this
4: thing in two weeks. Why can't I get it? You can get it. Actually, all the names you have cited are part of the process through which the vaccine doses will be shipped, will be warehoused, will be transported, and will be inoculated. We actually already have localized and are localizing all the ancillaries: the syringes, the, 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 the uh, uh, you know cotton for, with alcohol, the the masks, uh, the, everything that's we're required to inoculate to immunize individuals is being moved. And as soon as the EUA is approved within 24 hours, the vaccines will be in the immunization sites and people will be immunized. The difference is we don't have 300 million doses. Okay, We will have, as the month goes by, within the month of December, up to 35 to 40 million doses, enough to immunize more or less 20 million high-risk individuals. And then Doctor, you know, I, I appreciate everything you're saying, but even eyes on a well, let
1: me give you my forecast, OK? Chaos. I deal with all the corporations that are involved in this chain of command. No one knows what's going to happen. You think CVS knows what's going to happen. You go to your CVS in two weeks for, and they're going to say, listen, when we get the plan, we are ready to roll. I have done the homework on this, sir. You are not ready. And it's not just you don't have enough vaccines. It's just because no one has a plan down there.
4: Well, I I beg to disagree with you. I I think I have attended many uh, uh, rehearsal and review meetings, and I think it's actually ready uh, to the minute. And I guess uh, exactly like people were saying six months ago, this will never happen. We will never have vaccines before the end of the year. We have them. I hope I'll be able to uh, prove you wrong, and, and, you know, the facts will speak.
1: That'd be
3: great. I
1: want my shot. (laughs)
4: <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: Well, Dr. Slaoui, tell us about. Uh,
1: Go ahead, Meg. I'm sorry.
3: Jim, you might be prioritized behind some healthcare care workers, but um, but Dr. Slaoui, talk to us about what that distribution is going to look like, because Pfizer, of course, as you said, was part of Operation Warp Speed, but is doing the distribution by itself. It has to be kept so cold. They are saying no dose left behind. But but are there things about the logistics about this that have you worried at all?
4: So the packaging takes care of the cold chain. They have done an extraordinary work job to really make sure they are able to ship the product, the vaccine wherever in the cities or in the countryside in a way that sustain the cold chain for a period of two weeks. And they have also ensured that they will be able to replenish the uh, dry ice that's needed to keep the temperature, the very cold temperature in the packages uh, for first time, and that goes on each time for 15 days. Uh, the trays uh, allow for a shipment of a minimum of 975 doses of vaccine. And once owed, they need to be used within a period of five days. So, at, and kept it at, uh, you know, refrigerator temperature. I think that's really a very clear uh, process. Again, it's all worked out. And, uh, you know, but what we need is to plan when immunization happens that over a period of five days up to a thousand people are immunized. And I think that's pretty clear. Likewise for Moderna, we will be shipping there. The minimum amount of vaccine doses to be shipped is a hundred. Uh, so there's a little bit more flexibility the cold chain is less cold and that uses freezer like people have in their homes, minus 20 degrees Celsius. So there will be more flexibility there and uh, again, as, as described many times, the vaccines will be distributed pro rata, the population to every state. It is the state that will tell us, we want the vaccines here, 100 dose here, 2,000 dose there, etc., and they will be there. I, I know General Perna, right. my co-leader for the operation is, is just doing an amazing job, frankly, to the minute, planning everything.
3: Well, Dr. Slaoui, it's a historic day. We really appreciate you being here with us this morning, and yes. we'll stay in touch, we hope, as, as this process unfolds. Thanks again.
4: My pleasure. Thank you, Meg. And we look forward to demonstrating that things will go much better than... Uh, I Jim's. Then Jim's thank forecast.
3: Jim. <laughs> Jim and David, back
0: over to you. Thank you, Jim. He's thank got a very different view than you do. All right, uh, So, Meg, what uh, do,
1: th- do I do? Thank you, Meg. What? And thank you, Dr. Oh, Slaoui. I want to ask Meg. Oh, all right. Thank she's you. still Meg, there. let's say I've got great relations with CVS, not just the company, but actually my pharmacist. And uh, same thing with Walgreens. So what do you think? I just um, give him a jingle uh, maybe I just show up. Uh, I, I have to tell you. That when we had polio raging in this country, I got the letter. My parents got the letter. We knew exactly what to go and when to go. And that was in the darn 50s when we didn't have the Internet. I don't know what to do. I mean, maybe I should go. I got a mini clinic that I go to, a ready clinic where I do testing on Long Island. Should I go there? I mean, maybe they've got
3: You're asking important questions, Jim, and the uh, there is a federal allocation plan and a distribution plan um, at the federal level, but then the decisions about how we get our vaccines personally are going to be made within our states. And so it is going to be 50 different states. It's going to be, you know, every sort of local health department figuring this out. And, and I've been seeing communications from state health departments about their vaccine plans but there are there are a lot of people with a lot of questions where are we gonna be able to get these things who should get them when so all of that is going to start getting worked out but in the states some of them argue they don't have enough funding to really get this done the federal government would say that's not true Secretary Azar told me that when I asked him he said the states have enough money but this is going to get worked out over the coming weeks and and Jim we're really gonna be starting to see this around the holiday season if this gets approved mid-December I mean the one thing is healthcare workers are prioritized um, at the top probably and so that is a very unique yep. group of people you know who have different access
0: as they need to be particularly right now Meg uh, so many of them are under stress um, and dealing with a situation they had hoped they wouldn't see again Meg thank
1: you but as Dave, always Dave, uh, yeah Jim does it go to the super spreaders the kids are going to come home from Thanksgiving no go to, why not it's not going to I know but what who would you I give don't it to no
0: know. I know
1: should it go to the super spreaders?
0: Well, don't you think that what you do is well, you, you call them that you're talking about kids who are going to be coming home from college very
1: soon. Is this an issue that the federal government should there. decide? Or is it an issue that we should just say, hey, New Jersey, you bankrupt state? No, well, yeah, we need Murphy a federal
0: plan, that, of course. And Dr. Slowy seemed to disagree with you vehemently when you said there isn't one. But I think I there are plenty of people, people
1: who agree with you. I thought it was a suboptimal uh, answer. But at the same time, I, it was cordial. It was. Well, listen, we had a lot of news in that
0: first uh, 37 minutes of this show. Of course, Secretary Mnuchin, you heard from Dr. Slowey. The markets, well, thankfully, not that much to tell you about. Sort of a mixed bag. We've got the S&P down a little over 0.14%. NASDAQ is also down. There's the Kramer COVID index, by the way, which is up 60% year to date. Yeah, not bad. Um, uh, Jim, of course, we did spend a good amount of time with uh, with Secretary Mnuchin talking about his decision to return money is the way he wants to put it to Congress. Take a listen to what he said to critics who say, why are you stopping this Fed program now?
2: There were a lot of people, you know, on the Democratic side who questioned giving me $500 billion that I could, quote, do with whatever I want. So I find it kind of ironic now that I'm being prudent in returning the money to Congress like I'm supposed to, that uh, people are questioning that. But uh, again, we want Congress to reappropriate this money, and we got plenty of capacity left if we need to use it. And this has been a great success story.
0: You know, Jim, the only thing is, I don't think there, I mean, when is Congress going to reappropriate that money, which is the question you asked, and we mm-hmm. kind of asked, didn't really get an answer.
1: No, uh, but I know that the secretary has repeatedly sided on the idea that money must be given, almost business interruption insurance, he's called on our show, to these, uh, the institution. We're talking about the restaurants, David. I mean, that's an industry, people say, some people say $10 million, some people say $14 million. Uh, But that has to happen. He didn't seem averse to that. But, David, the KB, uh, the bank index, the KBW bank index is barely down. When I first heard about the spat, I said, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to be about backstopping the banks. It's going to be backstopping money funds. David, I got it. Treasury sector is right. I mean, in the letter, by the way, people should realize in the letter, he actually goes over how the spreads he does. He
0: talks about spreads and how they've closed and some have closed far beyond where they even were before they put the programs in when there was concern about it. And also most of I mean most of the money just sitting there as a backstop. 25 bills, uh, all that's been used. Yeah, um, well, you
1: didn't need to. Junk no. bonds, by the way. And why it we need to spread. own, why
0: the U.S. government or the Fed needed to own uh, bonds of Apple or McDonald's is beyond me, and I think many people. But, like, why? You know, well, he did why? say something
1: interesting. He said, yeah. well, the Fed always wants more money. Right. And I thought that was... Uh, is that and, true? Well, I, you know, I don't know. President Evans, about four, 45 minutes ago, would say no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the interview with Steve Leisman, I mean, he basically just said, this is just a, uh, frankly, I didn't use the word disappointment. Obviously, David, the headlines in the papers are really indicative. I mean, the headlines in the papers are all about limiting Biden's options. Well, that's because
0: that has been a strategy, it would seem, at this point, as the president obviously continues to fight the outcome of the election. Losing in court, or at least losing in front of judges, I should say, many times, but now trying to influence the state electors, Jim, as you know.
1: Right. Um, Michigan. So, David, I've got the edge on you, vaccine month. you've got It's the, the only th- time that anybody, that youth, uh, doesn't have the edge over the
0: elderly. <laughs> You'll be first. You'll be before me, which is fine, which is fine. Then we can hang out again. You won't worry as much when I get within seven feet of you. All right, when we come back right here, we're going to have an exclusive, yeah, changing things up a little bit. serious XM's incoming CEO, there she is, Jennifer Witts. First, though, let's take a look at the bond market. Of course, we've been uh, getting a wrap-up the week here. Let's take a look at how Treasury yields are moving this morning. Jim mentioned the banks, not too bad. And as you can see, 10-year, 0.847, and there's the spread over the 30. There's the German Bund, by the way, as well, which is uh, falling to lows that have not been seen in about two weeks. That's, of course, over concerns about a spike in COVID cases and the stimulus battle between the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve. And let's finally finish with a look at the dollar index there you have it. Yesterday, of course, John Malone saying eventually over time, all this money, it's going to have a devaluing effect. He's buying hard assets, but you can see where we stand right now. Squawk on the street coming right back. Sirius XM in September announced that longtime CEO Jim Meyer will retire at the end of the year. His replacement is the first female CEO of the company. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive for her first interview is Jennifer Witz. She's the president and incoming CEO of Sirius XM. Jennifer, great to have you. Uh, and you will be taking over, of course, basically the first of the year. Um, most important asset at your company, many would say, is a gentleman named Howard Stern. And whether and when he's going to decide whether to stay, given his contract is up very soon, is an issue of great uh, consequence and focus. He ended his show on Wednesday. I think it was his last live show of the week saying the following. We enjoy the people at Sirius XM and we love working with them and it's a wonderful experience. I finally made my decision, and it wasn't easy. Well, after talking it over with my wife and talking it over with Robin, I've decided we are going to, and then Soprano style, they cut. Jennifer, what was he
5: going to tell us? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, David. It's great to be here. Uh, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, Howard did what he does best uh, and closed out his show with a with a great ending and he'll be back after Thanksgiving to share more with us. And yeah, look, I've been at Sirius a long time. I remember when Howard first came and joined us at Sirius and uh, he just still has a massive fan base. So we're excited to continue to work with Howard. We don't uh, have anything specific to announce today, uh, but I'm really encouraged and confident that we will have something to say soon. You've seen some of his pretty phenomenal interviews over the last several months. Uh, As you know, we launched video with Howard two years ago. He's had over a billion and a half views of his video across our platforms and across social. So again, we're just we're thrilled to continue to work with Howard and hope we will continue to do that for many years to come.
0: All right. Well, judging from your comments, I'm going to look forward to his announcement, as I'm sure many of his fans will, that he's staying on Sirius XM, even though you didn't say it and he hasn't yet. Uh, We're hopeful. (laughs) Okay, understood. You are hopeful. Uh, You know, Jennifer, of course, he does, as you say, great interviews, uh, does Mr. Stern. Uh, Podcasts have become over these last, let's call it five years, such an important component of so many businesses, including your business model, the acquisition of Pandora, Stitcher now as well, obviously podcasting. How important is that to the future of Sirius?
5: Well, we're really excited about podcasting and the opportunities it brings. I mean, Sirius XM has been you know in premium talk audio for nearly 20 years, and podcasting is a natural extension for that. it, it is the fastest growing segment of audio, and so it's a natural place for us to have a position. You saw yesterday we announced that we're launching podcasts on SiriusXM. We've teamed up, um, as we always do, with a great set of brands and talent, including Marvel and Kevin Hart. And, you know, our strategy for SiriusXM is to continue to enhance the value of our bundle, and you'll see us offer a highly- curated set of podcasts. Um, but, you know, David, outside of Sirius XM, across all our audio platforms, we reach over 150 million listeners um, with Pandora and our investment in SoundCloud and now Stitcher. And, you know, we offer just a really unique opportunity for podcast creators, publishers, and uh, advertisers, of course, to come to our platform um, we have ad sales capabilities ad tech capabilities now with our acquisitions and you know we even did a deal with your parent company uh, this week we'll continue to bring msnbc cnbc and the today show to our siriusxm listeners and now we have the exclusive ad, exclusive ad representation and ad technology platform for a broad set of podcasts across mbc news msnbc and cnbc
1: uh, Jennifer, Jim Cramer, you know, I've been long a supporter, really, from the very beginning. I uh, remember. Yep. And, and you know, I have a lot of friends there. And what I've always been surprised at, and my friends and I both surprised at, is why the stock isn't much, much higher. And one of the things I think of is, is that I think the service is remarkable. Uh, I, I do fantasy football. I find it's remarkable for that. I find it's remarkable for sports. I find been remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. Why aren't you charging much more for your product?
5: well jim uh, we think we offer a lot of value for our subscribers and uh, we you know we'll continue to play with different price points i think at the low end and at the high end i uh, i believe we do have more room to capture consumer demand in, in both those areas so you know i think you'll see us do some different kinds of things in packaging in the coming months but yeah, you know, we'll our main focus is to continue to deliver value to our subscribers in and outside of the car We've been uh, really making progress and driving engagement outside of the car with our digital products as well.
1: Right, so, Jennifer, uh, I've always felt that one of the ways to measure your progress is with used car sales. Used car sales are probably the strongest they've ever been. Uh, what are you doing to be able to make it so that you are part of the package uh, naturally and that people recognize that it's something that the auto dealer should be saying? And no, don't forget, it's built in.
5: So, first of all, we have great relationships with the franchise dealers, and we have programs in place um, with virtually all of them, or the vast majority anyway. And, you know, the the used car business is the long-tail growth, as you suggested, for us. I mean, our our new car penetration rates um, in the next couple of months should reach 80%, given all the extensions we've done with the auto manufacturers. And that is going to translate through to used car sales over time. We're only approaching 50 percent in used car pen rates. And so yeah, that does create a big opportunity for us going forward.
0: But I do wonder, Jennifer, so many of those new cars, at least, of course, where you have the introductory program also come with the ability now for people to stream so easily from any of their devices into the automobile and stream. There are various services available, such as Spotify. Isn't that a continued concern for you um, that eventually those people fall off as they perhaps don't see the value in the overall service?
5: We're always concerned, but we offer, again, a broad set of premium audio content, and that's why we're continuing to add to our bundle, including with podcasts. So our bundle of content and the ease of use that we bring to consumers in the car is unmatched, and that's why these relationships we have with the auto manufacturers are so important. But, you know, for us, We're launching 360L, which is our next generation automotive platform where we combine our satellite delivery with IP delivery and using the modem in the car. So We have the same access to the connectivity in the car that every other service has, but we provide a much easier uh, path for consumers to consume our content. We we believe that the path for 360L is really strong. We're launching with a number of auto manufacturers today, GM, FCA, Ford, Audi VW, and BMW. Uh, And the numbers of 360L capable vehicles on the road will grow from something like a million four at the end of this year, uh, to triple that by the end of next year. And, and as you know, as the automotive companies roll out their yeah. their plans, uh, that will just continue to grow in the years to come.
0: Finally, Jennifer, uh, you know, obviously you're taking over for Jim Meyer, who's been in the job for quite some time. Uh, I'm sure many things won't change, but what will change under a WITS leadership uh, team at Sirius?
5: I, I think you're going to see a lot more of what we've always done, which is focus on delivering our results executing against our growth initiatives, and delivering shareholder value. So you know, that's what I'm committed to doing. I've worked with Jim for a really long time. He has set us up incredibly well. We are in a really strong position today, and you know, that's my goal is to continue to follow on his legacy.
0: Well, we'll be following closely. We appreciate you taking your time and having your first interview with us. We'll look forward to that Stern announcement soon as well. Great. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you we got a lot more ahead on the media front, by the way. Again, it's the Liberty Media Investor Day, two-day virtual. And so Tom Rutledge, who joins us more or less every year at that event, he's going to join us later on the program as well. Charter. Keep it here. I don't know, Jim. It's been
1: a weird show. Not a bad way. But no. we haven't talked stocks at all. So let's get to stock well, Let's talk a big one, or it used to be a big one. Let's talk General Electric this morning. Amazing. Harry Corp has made an acquisition. It's he's playing offense. He's buying a startup in healthcare, which is going to make it so that uh, it's a further CT, which they dominate, further CT product that will establish a new standard of care. Uh, but basically, what it'll do is probably help uh, make personalization of healthcare go further. David, this is important. I had Vlad of on last night. He's the uh, head of Robinhood. GE, when everyone was running from GE in March, his people, that was one of their most favorite stocks, GE and Ford. Well, David... This stock is almost at 10. The stock was at 6 when they were buying it. So someone's making some money. It just happens to be the younger people who believe in Larry Culp, Not that they would necessarily know who he is. Who he is or what they do really. Well, David, so what do they believe? Under in? the previous administration I wasn't sure what they did either.
0: Yeah. Well, so,
1: Let's right. not let's buy. They had all those homes in Bulgaria.
0: Remember that <laughs> it was Poland, actually. Wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, Poland? It was it Poland? I thought
1: they had Poland, yeah. really mortgages and, uh, you know,
0: Central Europe. Yeah. That? Central Europe. Uh, Jim, anything else you're focused on as this day goes along? Uh, course, home got...
1: I've got on tonight, which is an unbelievable company. Laura Albert is just I mean, this is the stay at home, work at home. Way to go. Don't forget West Elm, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, Restmed. Med. Uh, uh, Mike Farrell, he made a huge number of ventilators when we needed them. I want to know if I need a, We should have CPAP machines. Everybody at home. then and Anders Gustafsson, why do you think that they're able to do such automation at places like Amazon? It's that man. Zebra.
0: It is. So, I, you know, that takes me back. It's funny. We, we showed the COVID in the Kramer COVID index earlier up. What was it? Sixty five percent, something like that. Over six percent for the year. Yeah. Is it back? I mean, you know, I mentioned to the Treasury secretary how cases are unfortunately um, catapulting. Uh, Jim, and we are starting to get more orders of people try at least don't you know, don't go out if you can't don't have Thanksgiving, don't travel. Is there
1: going to be a real impact? Do we see it reflected in the stock market at all? David, Zoom, nine dollars. Okay, up nine dollars today. We're going to we're seeing it again. I mean, we're seeing it again because what basically what's happened is the central, the longer we go without going to the central office, the more we realize that the central office was maybe something that was completely irrelevant. Uh, and very expensive. So I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's
0: here to stay. Yeah. Zoom is up over 2.5%. What
1: do you do this weekend?
0: Are you going to hide, or are you just going to um, hang around? A little of both. Be out there a bit. Have some outdoor dining. Try and get it in before it's all over. We're, all, then, in together, then okay. We're all in this together, yeah, David. Okay. all in this together. Until you get the no vaccine problem. and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, buddy. All right. <laughs> You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.